Welcome to Pub Indy. I'm Tammy Cavanaugh. And I'm Ann R. Bailey. Today we're going to give you some updates and we're going to take a journey to a citadel. But more specifically, we're discussing creating unique settings with history. So grab a drink, sit back, and let's chat. So Anne, what have you been working on? Um, I have basically been working on my latest two projects, just getting them out there and ready for the market. Ooh. And more excitingly, though, I've started... My very first fantasy novel, I'm quite deep in it now, and I've been really enjoying the world-building aspect to it, which I haven't had to really think about or do as much for my other books, so it's been really interesting. How about you? I have been working on edits for my fourth draft. I'm on chapter seven at this point. It also started the second book to a certain extent. Got a pretty good idea of where I want to take that. Really exciting to edit. I, I know a lot of people don't enjoy it, but I really <laughs> I like editing. I like uh, getting feedback and I like seeing if I can use it in any way. So I'm having a lot of fun with, with draft four right now. I do want to correct myself when I said I haven't been able to do this kind of world building before. I really just meant creating so many original environments and even building a world up from scratch because this is very high epic fantasy for me. Yeah, this is your first time doing um, an epic fantasy. Have you ever played with fantasy before? I have. Those books that I had written were more like urban paranormal fantasy stuff like that ghosts and vampire hunters and things like that (laughs) totally not inspired by Buffy or anything (laughs) no right as I understand it like you've you've published mostly history Mm -hmm. there are a few that aren't history but um, mostly you've done history I would think that that would help a lot having an idea of what you needed for a livable world a world in which people feel like they live in it yeah so luckily with historical fiction a lot of research actually has to go into the setting and the environment these people's lived in and even the location and by that i mean what country were they living in what time period some countries were had running water way before others so you really had to do that kind of research and like similarly like it took months to get one dress out so you weren't gonna have a closet full of clothing unless you know you were queen elizabeth and everyone around the world was gifting you dresses to be her yes (laughs) sign me up when you are preparing for your history books what what do you like to do to get a feel for the world you're going to be putting these characters in yeah so basically before i determine the time period i'm writing and i also like to just even watch a lot of documentaries open up a lot of like youtube and do those virtual tours that uh, museums have now. It really helps me get a feel for what it might have been like to walk down the halls of Hampton Court. So it really helps put me in that place and visualize it as well. And then sometimes in my books, I even create my own castles and fictional locations, but I pull bits and pieces from other castles and kind of create my own that could theoretically actually exist. When it comes to your characters... um to build those characters to make them feel like people who live there. What do you like to think about? I like to really think about like their position in society, what they would be doing on a daily basis and time to imagine their day-to-day life, but also not get bogged down in the details in my writing because no one wants to know about how often someone went to the bathroom or how they brushed their teeth. But 
getting a feel for how some of their days might have gone and their tasks that they might have had is kind of important. So yeah, just some stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. When we're thinking about building our own worlds, I think looking at history and even present day, the real world, are a really good place to go Mm -hmm. to get an idea of what it is that makes a place, a setting, feel like it's existed before this point. What do you think? I would definitely agree with that. It's just being careful again about the context in which the person is living in. So it's really hard to not interject like modern sensibilities into our writing. And I think that kind of comes up in fantasy a lot too. Like if you structured a world based on a certain system and rules, you can't just suddenly have a character appear and write. Like you would know more about that. Yeah, um, when it comes to fantasy, I like to have a pretty good idea of where this character's life started, um, what kind of day-to-day life they had, and very much what their own personal knowledge of their world is. People don't live in a vacuum. What? Um, if you say, if you say place them in a village, where is that village located? What kind of agriculture do they do? Or animal husbandry, or like, what what is their economy in that village that makes it worthwhile staying there? What are their neighboring towns? Do they have a relationship with those neighboring towns? Are they good relationships? Are they bad relationships? Competitive relationships, Mm -hmm. like that could happen too. How long does it take to travel? What kind of technology uh, do they use to get through their day to day? But more specifically, um, I also like to think about what do they know about their own history? Like what has happened in in their town um do they know about that one time the king's party came and stayed at the village inn uh do they know about the songs about you know heroic deeds done by people in their own village or even like just across the country like how far does that knowledge travel uh music was a was a really good way of getting um information about you know events across in a fun way you know yeah I find it interesting that people, even in, you know, like medieval times, oh, women weren't educated. To some extent, this was true, but it didn't mean that they didn't listen to stories and tales being told. It didn't mean that they weren't listening to news, that they were kept completely ignorant about their own social customs and even stories like... When the Battle of Bosworth happened, of course, everyone would be talking about this, and they did for several years after, if not decades. So even if an event happened a long time ago, I like to think, what is the likelihood that this was such a significant event that someone 50 years later would know of it? For sure. And entertainment is entertainment. Everyone wants Mm -hmm. entertainment. So I don't see why there'd be a difference in, in knowledge levels. Uh, for your character or characters. Other things to think about when it comes to creating a character that exists in a livable world, I feel like, would be their Mm -hmm. social status. You mentioned that when you were talking about your own characters. What is the social status of this individual? Are they popular? Are they well-off? Are they poor? Or are they just like a middling farmer? There's also the really popular trope of an outcast. Um, and that brings us to like societal structures and expectations of the individual within that society. If you want to do the outsider trope, where you have a character who doesn't conform to either dress or behavior, then uh, there should be some sort of reaction of individuals to that. If they're from a small village, perhaps that reaction is, oh, he's always been that way. Or she's always been that way. Um, they're just eccentric. Yeah. 
you know, you'll get used to it because they've known them the person's whole life. If they leave that social situation, there should be pushback by people who have never met them before. There should be some sort of um, censure or repercussion for choosing to present yourself outside of social expectations. I'm not saying that you shouldn't write a book where there are people fighting social situations, no, social, <laughs> yeah, social norms. It's early, it's okay. Um, that's fun. <laughs> Like, that's really fun to do, to have someone fighting social norms. Um, but you should know why they're fighting those social norms. Sorry, I lost my train of thought there for a moment. Huh, not because someone came to bring me coffee at all. But all I wanted to say was I find it very interesting to keep in consideration how someone else would react to this person suddenly saying, the way you've been doing things is wrong, especially because these people have been breathing and living these social rules and have grown up with them. These are the expectations. Yes, they change, but to have someone come and say, you've been doing it wrong all this time, well, pretty sure they'd be like the town's crazy person. Yeah, and again, that comes back to be careful what you choose to be the social norms that you your character fights against. Some of them are there for safety. Mm -hmm. um, the way someone presents themselves indicates whether or not they are trustworthy, whether they're a person that you should interact with who will not you know betray you or swindle you so of course if you come into a town completely ignoring all social uh, niceties and expectations the people there aren't gonna want to talk with you yeah like even think about it you hold the door open for me and i say thank you that's a big deal and if i didn't you'd be looking at me like why are you so rude <laughs> and that that also brings up at least historically right how people would interact with you or how serious they would take you is kind of based on your social status that could be dependent on what you do for a living. You know, like a farmer wouldn't be taken as seriously as a knight. We should look at what people know depending on their social mm -hmm. station and how they behave depending on their social station or even where they live. So we've talked about someone growing up in a village somewhere. What if the person grew up in the capital city? Um, comparatively, that person from the village probably doesn't know much about politics or what the king does, or if you have mm -hmm. a king, something else to consider. What kind of political organization is your country built on? But we're, we're going to go with the king right now. What does the king? What does the king do all day? What is his job? Mm -hmm. You know, um, how much influence he has on your day to day life? Exactly. Um, so, someone who lives in the capital city would know way more about what goes on in court because, oh my gosh, that is the rock star of that world. That is the most talked about person. Um, there's gossip all over the place about him and his family mm -hmm. and. Um, the other courtiers and the lords and the ladies that attend court and who's in the city, who's not in the city, why they're not in the city. Oh, juicy. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I can vouch for that. How, um, how are you integrating these kinds of things into your writing? Um, thankfully, I haven't had to think about it too much Yay. yet because uh, there's only really three people in the first book. From the court so it's outside any kind of like outsider looking in um yeah it's more of an outsider looking in plus they're like they're outside of their own sphere of influence strong influence they still have influence but they're not like in control or anything like that so they're conforming to a certain extent to the social norms of where they are mm -hmm. so i haven't had to delve too much into it but i have been thinking about it because it comes up in the second book a lot and I'm super excited to just explore this new 
culture that I'm building. And with my character, she's learning about it with the reader. So it's a little bit different than what we're talking about here, where you have a character who has existed uh, in that culture their entire lives. So with my character, the reader and the character are learning stuff at the same time. With someone who, a character who has been placed in a world, they should be, they should know this information already. They should be reacting like they know this information already. And the information should be imparted onto the reader as it happens, I think. Yeah, so I'm kind of doing that. I have two POVs in my fantasy book. One is someone in the capital in a high position of power. So we have a very different uh, view from his side versus my other main character, whose POV is someone who's lived in a very insular location and has a very narrow view of the world because of this education, which was done spoiler alert, quite on purpose for a reason. <laughs> uh, so I get to play around with both showing the reader and kind of throwing hints and here and there. Right. Yeah. She knows nothing. And oh boy, she's in for a rude awakening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, why do I do this to myself? <laughs> to them. <laughs> <laughs> no, that sounds exactly what I'm talking about here, that um, you have different people with different levels of knowledge, for sure, within a, within a society, the villager mm -hmm. versus the capital city liver. We also need to consider, you know, and I mentioned this earlier, technology is a big part of, you know, world building and technology available to, again, someone who lives in a village versus someone who lives in the capital city or someone who lives in a completely different country could be completely different. Uh, I have a perfect example for that. I'm the example lady today. <laughs> well, Catherine of Aragon, when she came to England to marry the Prince of Wales, she had been used to living in a palace with like running water and being able to take a bath every day. And then she came to England where taking a bath was considered like the fastest way to your grave because, you know, the water was dirty. It was hard to do. It was like, you getting cold would probably mean you catch a cold and then shortly after die. Yeah, so it's even within the same time period, you can always play with these like cultural differences within your book. And I think I enjoy it. And I hope readers do too. It's just like fun little tidbits. Yeah. And when it comes to country relations as well, um, what is considered civilized in one mm -hmm. may be considered uncivilized in another so that's you know the rumors amongst the the small folk uh -oh. <laughs> um, yeah the rumors amongst them <clears throat> will will probably paint a, a slightly unkind image of the people of the neighboring country like oh they don't bathe they're barbaric things like that anything to make them feel more superior yeah. which is you know part of keeping your country together with propaganda well and there's also you know like say that's one aspect of it but there's also like religion technology all these little yep. differences you might think oh my god that's witchcraft <laughs> we haven't even touched on religion no, we haven't if if you have gods in your fantasy story there are going to be shrines or temples dedicated to those gods there are going to be chosen gods for that country that may be completely different from the neighboring country. Not necessarily that their names are different, just that they prefer God, some gods than other gods. Like they, they've elevated them higher within their society because they reflect 
in some way the ideals of that society. What kind of power do these temples have? Do these religious people, do they have... Are they interested in political power or are they only interested in performing uh, their purpose? Yeah. Um, Whatever that might be. As far as they're concerned from their god, right? But if you do have a connection between a church and state, there should be a very strong arm of the church or temple to exert whatever power they've been able to gain from the state. Mm -hmm. If you think about it from medieval times or specifically even the Tudor times, the reason there was such a big shakeup was that King Henry VIII decided, no, I will become the head of the church. So I will be that person talking to God and it will no longer be the Pope in Rome. Well, of course, a lot of people would disagree with him and there was a lot of fighting because of it and rebellions. So depending on whatever religious system you pick, there's quite a lot of considerations to take into place. It's quite complicated and I'm not... It's complicated, but you don't have to go that no. in depth with it necessarily if it's not a big part of your book. But your character should be aware of these institutions. Mm -hmm. um, even if they've never interacted with them, there'd, there'd be knowledge about these institutions um, imparted to them and whether or not they're dangerous or helpful. Yeah. I think what we're trying to get at is that it's quite important to know the rules of your own society, social, religious, political, and how it works, because then you can make an enjoyable story for the reader and give them like these little bits and pieces here and there. No, I totally agree that sneaking in little items for the reader that's relevant to the plot mm -hmm. and i agree like you as the writer it's fun to world build mm -hmm. for one thing i think it's good to like just go whole hog on it but that doesn't necessarily mean everything that you've you've created about your world is gonna show up in the first book or or the second book or even the third book yeah. like but you can give details that point towards the fact that something like this might exist or it doesn't necessarily inform on the events but it informs on the world so for example we we jokingly refer to this as the uh, into the citadel episode and that's just because i let anna read my book and she really liked this one scene where there's this citadel and it's existed for a long time and it's it suggested that it was probably built by this guy that had a reputation for not being great. <laughs> I love how vague you're being. <laughs> I know. I don't know how. D don't just know say how, it. How just say it for the, for the listeners out there. He liked to experiment on people. He was he was curious about disease and death, and eventually. Um, was trying to find a way to reach immortality. At least those are what the stories are about him. There's there's a lot of stories about him. So he was like definitely a villain, Dr. Frankenstein. Yeah. yeah, he liked to see how diseases spread. He liked to create diseases. COVID. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> but yes, uh, it was a lost place. No one knew where the Citadel was until this book personally like when i read it i was really pulled into the stories about this place and it really created like an eerie environment as she was walking around and exploring so i was like oh no what's gonna happen what's gonna be around the corner <laughs> i guess that brings us to the end of this episode um consider subscribing and join us next month where i believe we're talking about different types of characters and what we enjoy doing with them yes. that sounds creepy <laughs> <laughs>